0: Hello and welcome to the Granta podcast, produced in association with the Frontline Club. In celebration of Granta's 134th edition, titled No Man's Land, author and journalist Oliver Buller joined Peter Pomerantsev and Filippo Chiali in conversation at the Frontline Club. They discussed the themes of amnesia, nostalgia, paranoia and the end of history in a rich discussion. I'm Oliver Bullough and I'm very pleased to have the opportunity to chair this event which is dedicated to the publication of a new edition of Granter, number 134, it's called No Man's Land and it is full of some truly fantastic bits of writing by some truly fantastic writers. And we are very lucky to have two of them here today. Um, Since it is 25 years since the end of communism, um, we have decided to talk about the end of communism.
1: My name is Peter Parantov. I, I, um, I, I write quite a lot about Russia. I wrote a book called Nothing is True and Everything is Possible about my time in Moscow. And then I begged my editors to send me to Ukraine, and none of them would. And I'm very glad that Granta finally did send me to East Ukraine. And, and the piece is a journey through sort of the war zones of East Ukraine. And it's an attempt to look at how um, propaganda and information war messes with people's heads um, and you know, it might be relevant to people living here as well. Um, So I'm going to read a short extract um, about a small town I came across and what it was like there um, during during last summer. The mayor of Dezhensk has weathered every revolution. In April 2004, he welcomed the separatists with open arms. The two newspapers under his control supported the Donetsk People's Republic. When the Ukrainian army retook the town a few months later, they shelled the town hall. The mayor quickly cut a deal with them. Online videos of the mayor expressing support for the next People's Republic were deleted and the online archive of the newspapers was wiped. But though the town was now officially in Ukrainian territory, you still couldn't get Ukrainian TV unless you had a cable package. Russian and DPR TV are still available everywhere. Dezhinsk may be in Ukrainian territory, but it still is under the Kremlin's information sovereignty.
0: So so from Donbass, we're next going to Philips, um, Romania. I think, I mean, I think what's particularly amazing about this is I think people possibly in, in Western Europe if we think about Eastern Europe at all, we think about the collapse of communism we won, um, liberal democracy triumphed, uh, there's a sort of general idea that that was it, the end um, and we didn't need to think about it anymore um, and which I think both of these stories show the extent to which that sort of general the end of history, the Fukuyama end of history narrative is, is astonishingly wrong so Philip is now going to um, take his deep into Romania.
2: Yeah, uh, this is uh, a piece I wrote about the intentional destruction of Bucharest by Ceausescu. Uh, And towards the end I I just start talking uh, about me. (coughs) Behind the chapel the ground falls away several meters and this small cliff provides a viewing platform overlooking the empty plain where the city had been. I stood by the railings looking out across a great distance towards the boulevard of the victory of socialism. It's been renamed, that's what Ceausescu called it. Across this wide emptiness, the cold wind blew. In the 1980s, the eastern slope of the mound had been cut away and the ground leveled as part of a project to straighten the course of the river Dimbovice and to hem it between concrete banks like a giant sewer what was probably the most important ar- archaeological site in the city was excavated by bulldozers and whatever story the ground could have told was churned up and then encased beneath asphalt and cement
1: ukraine is a is a, is a laboratory of contemporary sort of propaganda and what's come been should said, you your article is called Propaganda Lands? Yeah, it is, actually, yes, yeah. that's why I call it that. But, but I don't find it unique. I find it sort of a concentration of things we find elsewhere. I find Ukraine generally a very contemporary country and not a, not a sort of uh, a backwards place in that sense. So look, there's some sociology done about this. It's not in my piece, but it, it's, it fed some of my thinking before I went there um, about people living in sort of Kharkiv and other places in East Ukraine. What's the difference between propaganda now and then in the 20th century? In the 20th century, you had, like, you know, the BBC World Service and Radio Free Europe on one hand and Radio Moscow on the other, and they kind of collapse, you know, collide, I mean. Um, And there's sort of two two lightsabers fighting each other, and censorship would try to sort of block it, and the point was getting information through to the other side. Now that that, that problem really doesn't exist um, there and a lot of other places as well. The problem that people have is they have too many sources of information. So people in Kharkiv, for example, they have everything. They have Russian TV, Ukrainian TV. Uh, some people try to sort of cut TV off, but but you know people can get it through the internet. And 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 in, soci- in all the sociology, they say we don't believe anyone anymore because there are so many different sources of information, all of them giving up a p- completely different picture of reality. Uh, this is usually done around the MH17 sort of tragedy, the the, the plane that was shot down people say, we, we, we hear so much from everyone we don't believe anyone, but we're going to go with the Russians because their stories are more cinematic <laughs> <laughs> and it must be true because it's more emotional um, and, and we, but again, this is, this is not just about East Ukraine. I mean, we're seeing that in America in many ways, where, uh, you know, we, we, we slow build of something called sort of a post-truth politics, first coined by an American blogger in 2012, where, again, there are so many sources of information, people just disappear into their own little echo chamber. There's a wonderful uh, Institute for Advanced Studies in Lucca in Italy, which looks at the effects of Facebook. The idea was always that more social media, more media, would mean better democracy. We'd have more sources of information, more truth, more debate, more liberalism. Actually, what's happening is that people are disappearing into their echo chamber. So this uh, institute did uh, research about people who believe in climate change conspiracies on Facebook. And what happens when you try to tell them the truth? Give them facts they reject them completely. Actually, it strengthens their core cool beliefs. So this is a very new kind of world that we have to encounter. And, and, and the piece does start with this, this miracle of normal Ukrainians uh, basically organizing a revolution online. And we, we, it's remarkable when I got into how much they did online. Uh, they organized, obviously, organized sort of maneuvers in Kiev to cause the Maidan, organized funding, organized ambulances, organized legal help, organized so... I mean, it's, it's actually incredible. It's a spontaneous uh, uh, sort of online social formation, that, the extent to which, of which maybe we haven't seen since a year before in Egypt. But, but, but clearly that can be reversed as well, uh, and that can be used against sort of all the ideals of liberal democracy uh, very, very easily. And what I come to at the end is not even so much about sort of the Fukuyama stuff, what my characters came to uh, and the mentality they came through, they kind of lost... A kind of a new medievalism emerges because they don't believe anything. You start believing conspiracies that somewhere on high must control everything because you can't make your way through this sort of, sort of medieval fog of, inf- of disinformation. Everything is rumour. Uh, the logic between sort of truth and falsehood, but between authorities and and people who just talk shit, but who are on TV as well, that's kind of broken down, and they revert to this kind of almost medieval thinking. And I was definitely stuck into that by the end. I couldn't understand myself the difference between sort of truth and lies. And 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 yeah, the, the book sort of end, uh, the book the, the piece ends with with that kind of thought.
0: I was thinking with with, with the conspiracy theories. Um, I slightly interesting the way you you, you end on 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 the sort of sim- simple sort of comfort of a religious ceremony, and, and you have this sort of conspiracy theories. Is conspiracy theories essentially a yearning for a higher
1: power? Is it sort yeah, of yeah, Certainly here. I mean, this, this is what refugees would tell me from the Donbass region. It's like, we don't believe anyone, we don't understand anything, somewhere up above with their invisible hand, a bomb at the masons, they must control it. No, no, it was a yearning for, in the chaos, in the information chaos, yearning for a god. But listen, um, uh, there's a lot of research about sort of far-right Parties, they're not movements anymore, they're now parties in, in Europe, in Hungary, in Slovakia, in France. People there are really into conspiracy theories. We see this in the latest American elections. So confronted with the chaos of globalization, with the chaos of too many information sources for our little minds to cope with, uh, in that chaos people revert to conspiracy theories and that, you know, is reflected in some of the nastier political movements. So again, this is not just Ukraine. Ukraine is just at the sharp end of this.
2: I found Peter's take on this paranoi- paranoid atmosphere and these conspiracy theories in the context of the information age very interesting. But there's nothing new about this, this way of thinking. It's happened over and over again. You just have to look at uh, you look at Vienna at the beginning of the 20th century which was a, a multicultural society and it was, it was just uh, people lived by conspiracy theories and paranoia, and ideas about who these strangers coming into this German space were, and ideas about the refugees that were escaping the pogroms from, from the, the Russian Empire, you know. And you had the mayor of of Vienna in those days, uh, Karl Luger, you know. Um, he 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 would blame these Jewish refugees for the communist disturbances in the Russian Empire and he threatened them with a program in Vienna if they tried anything. So he had this interesting scenario, scenario with uh, the refugees, the victims of the violence, actually being confused with the perpetrators, which is exactly what you had in the wake of the Paris attacks here. You suddenly The media suddenly flips and they, and they see things completely backwards. It happens over and over again. This is what we need to recognize.
1: The, the, the 20s are actually a very good point because the last time we saw something like this this explosion of new media that starts to completely break down a kind of consensus about reality and order is the 1920s because you have the emergence of uh cinema and radio uh and you have this wave of propaganda from actually pioneered by us as as we often do to in the roll-up to the first world war but really which then sort of lets out these conspiracy theories and totalitarian ideology. So there might be a very concrete echo, actually, there, of new media. people thinking no. that the protocols of the elders of Zion no, no, is, a no, real, no.
2: is a real document. Right, okay, but suddenly you have no.
1: newspapers, so yeah. everyone can yeah. read it. No, no, no. Yeah? So, so there's something about the emergence of new media, society not being able to deal with it, and, and reverting to really nasty things, uh, which is that's even more depressing than what you've been talking about.
0: Um, I'm wondering, this destruction of the city... How much of this was an attempt to try and, and essentially, in, in erasing the past to erase people's ideas of the truth and try and establish, a, you know, a new truth?
2: That that was the idea. It was that anything that became before the, the the year zero of the arrival of the Communist Party was worthless. That that history began with with Ceausescu. Um. And they destroyed churches. They destroyed everything that was old. It was that. There was, there was no value to anything apart from what was being de- constructed. Um, and you see this in all socialist societies. But yes, he, um, Bucharest wasn't the only city to, to suffer, and I only, I've only learnt this since I, I finished writing this piece. Was he did the same thing in, in all the cities in, in southern uh, and eastern Romania. They've all, been, they've all been destroyed. There's almost nothing left. So the am- amnesia is total. Uh, on, one, on one hand, it was a pro- propaganda victory, but when you actually destroy the buildings themselves again, the, the material remains of the city, well, then you, you achieve it twice. What do we mean
1: when we talk about nostalgia? Um what it used to be. Yeah, but the thing is, yeah, and you hear that a lot there, but they can never quite define what it used to be. I think nostalgia might be more about not being very happy with the present, uh, and their present isn't very good. Um, and and you know the, 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 the nostalgia they had was very it was very mythical you know I'd be mean, like what exactly do you want and there's this lovely phrase that, that the separatists use things will be like they always were they are talking about some kind of dreamscape um, and and it was very interesting that it was very it seemed to sort of live uh, and, and and sort of like develop itself online and, and the internet is a very strange kind of paradox that way yeah. um, uh, it, on the one hand sort of the internet sort of like uh, sort of breaks our um, idea of reality because it's so fragmented, um, and in that kind of fragmented virtual space, people start dreaming of these sort of lost nostalgias. And there are all these in- even before the separatist movement started, there are all these internet sort of like sites that sort of uh, uh, bathe themselves in a in, in a past. So it's it's something very mythical. But at the same time, when you go and pull down a statue of Lenin, no one seems to care. So they seem to be talking about something else. It's not actually sort of a hard grip onto something very real. Uh, It seems to be a a mix of sort of dissatisfaction with the present and a kind of a a desire for some sort of dream.
2: In the Romanian case, it was uh, there's a certain amount of nostalgia for you know people when they were younger. Maybe they thought they were earning better money under communism. But in terms of ideas, it's a nostalgia for the the pre-communist past, and that's a purely fictional idea. It was the idea that everything was wonderful before, before the commies came, which, of course, it wasn't. It was, it was a fascist country before, that, <laughs> before the commies came. And this is, um, this, this, is, this is a big problem because under communism they created a... What, what does a, a dictatorship do? It needs a very simple narrative. It needs a simple historical narrative. The simpler, the better. So what uh, the Romanians did was they stopped history before the war, okay? Uh, we, we we have a tendency to think of uh, communis- Communism as being, um, not having a nationalistic element. In most countries it did ultimately have a very nationalistic element which resurfaced after the fall of Communism, you see, you see this in Russia and the Ukraine. But, uh, Romania was also an extremely, extremely nationalist country. So this, this is the constant in Romanian politics. It's not socialism. It's, it's nationalism. In terms of what's coming, I mean, you have
0: you. I mean, it's a, it's a very subtle and lovely portrait of a, quite a damaged society and a sort of damaged city. Um, do you think that those? I mean, is time healing the 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 scars that or the wounds that were left by Ceausescu? Do you think?
2: In a generational sense it is. Uh, There's a certain amount of amnesia involved in that, it's not necessarily understanding what had happened, it's simply getting along with a a present where people are less suspicious of each other and and simply more pleasant to one another. Um, One of the deepest wounds of the the communist years was the fact that everyone was snitching on everyone else. And uh, nobody really trusted anybody. You know? And I, I, see, I see the, the younger generation are, are much different in that sense. Even talking about history, they're, they're much more open, they're curious. Whereas older people would be much more defensive. If I was to talk to the older generation and say the things that I've just said, people would tend to be very defensive. But young people aren't like that so much.
0: So you think in 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 Romania you have in a way it's a sort of slightly hopeful narrative possibly because of the EU aspect as you mentioned that maybe absolutely pretty, yeah.
2: absolutely because I was in Romania also in the 90s I remember it and it was a terrible place you couldn't leave you couldn't leave and uh, I I lived on the 10th floor of an apartment block on the edge of Bucharest and me and all my neighbors the rain was coming in on the top of the roof uh, and they didn't have the money to fix it and it was kind of depressing when it was raining as you can, as you can imagine but apart from the discomfort of it, it, it was this sense that everything was was falling apart faster than it could be fixed and that had been going on for a whole decade, you know, by the time I, I arrived with no... you know, how long, can you, how long can you take that? how long can you take that? and the feeling that you couldn't leave the country, you know um, it really was grim it really was grim uh, and that started to change about then in the early years of the, of the 21st century gradually so amnesia nostalgia
0: destruction rebuilding liberal democracy uh, end of history paranoia, paranoia conspiracy theories um, thank you everyone for coming um, I would like to also thank our two wonderful speakers um, you yes.